Well, last week we saw in our study where Pastor Tyler did that Paul needed to clear the air with the Corinthians. You see, as, as Tyler pointed out, Paul had some important things to share with this church. Some important things that he wanted to go over with them. But before he could do that, he needed to deal with some things that were still lingering. And so he sought to clear the air with them. And he really wanted them to know his heart. And as we come to chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see that Paul is going to challenge these believers in the church in Corinth to follow through on a previous commitment that they had made. Now, the setting here is this. It was on his third missionary journey as Paul traveled between the churches of Macedonia and Achaia that he took an offering And the offering wasn't for himself. The offering was for the church in Jerusalem that had been going through some really, really hard times financially due to famine that had hit the land, due to persecution that had come into the region. And so Paul saw this as an opportunity for bonding to take place between the Gentile believers in Greece and the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so Paul was really, really eager to receive up an offering for the churches there in Jerusalem. And so he was going around and sharing with the churches about this need. And he comes to Corinth, or he came to Corinth, and he shared with them about this need. And the Corinthian congregation had initially welcomed the opportunity to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But a year or so had passed, and they hadn't raised any money. And this need sort of got put on the back burner. You kind of know how that goes. And so Paul is writing here to encourage them to follow through on their commitment. Let's begin reading here in verse 1. Moreover, brethren... We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or their freedom. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, that they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others." Let's pause there for right now. As we work through this chapter tonight, we are going to see that Paul seeks to encourage these Corinthian believers in four ways. He's going to encourage them, first of all, by using the churches in Macedonia as an example. He's going to point to how they participated in this. The second way he's going to seek to encourage them is by encouraging them to abound in this grace. And we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. The third thing he's going to do is he's going to use the example of Jesus to encourage them. And then finally, he's going to encourage them to be true to their word. So let's look at, first of all, he encourages them by the example of the churches in Macedonia. We see this in verses one through five. And here's what Paul does. He uses the churches of Macedonia as an example for the Corinthian believers to follow in their mode of giving. And there were four things that Paul points out about their example that the Corinthians, and really all of us who are here tonight, and all of us who are tuning in online, we can learn from. So if you're taking notes, the first thing is 
we want to note is that they gave in tough times. That's the first thing. They gave in tough time. Paul mentions two things that point to this in verse 2. Their great trial of affliction and their deep poverty. The Macedonians, which was namely the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, were poor churches. It was a poor area. And the word that Paul uses here for their deep poverty, that phrase, is a phrase that is used to describe sort of a deep dive chamber. It's a word that was later used to describe what we might call probing the depths of the sea. I mean, this is like Jacques Cousteau type of stuff. Those of you who are old enough to remember that guy in his submarines, and he'd go down to the depths of the sea. We could say this, that these guys, they were so poor, they were scraping the bottom. They were in deep poverty. We might say they were dirt poor. Paul also says that they were in a great trial of affliction. Another translation puts it this way. They were in a severe test of affliction. And the literal idea of this is that they were being crushed by life. Maybe that's how some of you feel tonight. You feel like you've just been being crushed by life. We, we sort of felt that way on Monday, to be honest with you. I haven't cried that hard since my nephew died in 2018. And I got that call on an early morning as well. And... Um, you know, just, just heartbreaking. Maybe you feel that way. Just the pressure. Like, you just feel like the weight of everything is just crushing you. That's kind of the idea. And the surrounding culture just keep, kept squeezing them harder and harder and harder. So they're living, this is the idea, with this immense pressure to the point that they just feel like they're going to burst. Anybody ever felt that way before? The pressure of just life. Like, you just feel like you're going to burst. And so... They were poor and they were being picked on is the idea. Now, I think the Holy Spirit brings this to our attention because our natural tendency when things are, when we're, the things that we're, when we're going through tough times, our natural tendency is to get self-focused, isn't it? Our natural tendency, we've been talking about this in our first Peter study, is to turn inward, to become self-absorbed, to, to focus on our own survival. But sometimes the best thing that we can do in those seasons and in those times is to take our attention off of our needs and put them on somebody else to get focused on the needs of somebody else. And it's in those times when we are struggling that we have this tendency to think, well, well, I can't help out now. I just got too much going on in my own life. Or I can't pitch in. I just have too much going on in my own life. And so the first thing that Paul points out about this example of the Macedonians is that they gave even in tough times. It's easy for us to give when things are going good, right? It's easy to give when you got a lot of money in the bank. It's easy to pitch in and help out when you feel like, you know, hey, I don't have any problems. You know, no, yeah, sure. But when things are tough, but oftentimes that's the, the, the most important time for us to pitch in and to help out. The second thing he points out is that they gave generously. Look at verse 3. He says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. The idea is they gave more than they could. They gave beyond their ability. And again, it's the idea of, of, you know, that they might have sat back and, and, and wrestled with this at first. You know, I really can't afford this, but I sense that God wants me to do it. So I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust that as I give, as I participate in this, that God is going to meet my needs. Remember in Luke chapter 21, Jesus, we, we read there the story of the widow and her two mites. And it's interesting in that story because Jesus and his disciples were situated in this area where people were coming and they were giving their offerings. And it says there that Jesus was paying attention to what people were giving. But it really wasn't that he was paying attention to what they were giving, but it was that he was paying attention to how they were giving. 
And he pointed this out to his disciples. He said, you know, notice these people. He says, most of these people are coming here and they're giving out of their abundance. That's how they were giving. They were giving out of their abundance. But he said, look at that widow who just put in her two mites. Two mites are, is, is, is the equals about an eighth of a cent, okay? And he's like, we're talking minuscule. And Jesus said, that woman just gave all that she had. And so he, he said, and so she gave more than everyone else. And he said, she's going to be remembered for that. He was paying attention to how they were giving. It's funny, I was reading a story about a church board leadership team that were gathering together and there was a certain financial need that they were you know kind of wanting to help out as a church and and they were kind of struggling with having the funds to to do this and so they were having some meetings and praying and talking and and one of the deacons knew of about one of the other deacons that was in the group that you know he was kind of well off and so he went to the guy and he said hey I think you need to help out in this and the deacon who was well off said okay I'll give my two mites. That's the way he responded. Well, the next meeting, the deacon who asked that deacon that said, got some great news. Our brother here is going to give $75,000. And the guy goes, what? He said, well, you said you're going to give your two mites. And I'm figuring for you, that's about what your two mites is going to be worth. you know." And, and, uh, but Jesus pays attention to how we give. In the same way the Bible says, he pays attention to how we worship. Bible says, you know, that God is spirit and he's seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Lord is always, always, always most interested in the heart. He's paying attention to how we do things, our heart that's involved in it. The third thing to note about their example is that they gave enthusiastically. Look at verse 4. He says, imploring us. They were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. That word imploring, imploring literally means they were begging us. Now check this out. They're coming and going, Paul, come on. We want to help. We want to be involved. You know, help, let, let us help out with this. They were begging. They were enthusiastic in, in their willingness to want to do this. And I love when this happens in a church. I love when a need is made known and our church body is responding where it's almost like people are fighting over each other to be involved. I love that. I was talking to a friend of mine, Lance Cook, a few weeks ago. He pastors Calvary Chapel La Habra. And he was sharing with me about a time back when their church was about two or three years old. And in their city there of La Habra, they got a call from the uh, city officials. And the city officials said, um, hey, Pastor Lance, we just want you to know that you know, the Catholic Church has been doing a Thanksgiving meal for the community for a long, long time. And they just notified us. It was a couple months before Thanksgiving. Um, He said, they just notified us that they they can't do it this year. And so they asked, you know, would you guys be willing to help? And Lance responded by saying, help, we'll do it. We'll just, we'll just do it. And uh, Lance was telling me that he put it out to the church. They needed 50 volunteers to do this Thanksgiving thing. And in one day, it was all full with a waiting list of people to get involved. And they've been doing that now for like 25 years straight. And it takes like over 100 volunteers. And he says, every single year we put it out there and it's like it fills up in one day and then there's a waiting list because of the enthusiasm of people that want to be involved. And you know what? It's that type of enthusiasm that breeds a giving and generous culture in a church. You know, we're developing that culture here. And one of our core values at Calvary Vista is that we believe that we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. And I get so blessed by you guys in the way that you respond to needs that we put out. It's such a blessing to partner with all of you in the ministry of the Lord. It's so, so good. The fourth thing we want to note from their example that Paul brings out here of the churches of Macedonia is the reason for their enthusiasm and their willingness. We see this in verse five. It says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us 
by the will of God. This is key. They had first given themselves to the Lord. The believers in the church of Macedonia had given themselves to the Lord, which made it a lot easier for them to give of their finances. And you see, when I truly give myself to the Lord, I'm giving all that I have. I'm realizing, hey God, all that I have belongs to you. I think one of the best things that you can do in your life is coming to the realization, this realization, everything that I have belongs to God. I'm just a a steward. I'm just a caretaker of what he has given me. Lord, it all belongs to you. That's when we discover what Jesus said is really, really true. When Jesus said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I want you to notice the result of their giving this way. Look back at verse 2. He says that in a great trial of affliction, check this out, underline this phrase, the abundance of their joy. They're in this trial, they're in this affliction, but Paul says they have this great abundance of joy. Why? Because they're they have the opportunity to help out. They're responding to this needs. Their, their hearts were filled with an abundance of joy in, in being able to be used in this way. And I think probably the greatest example that I've ever seen here at Calvary Vista in describing this example of the churches here in Macedonia happened several years ago with a high school student. And it was a really, really special young man who loved Jesus with all of his heart. He was graduating from high school. And upon, you know, his graduation, like what happens with a lot of kids, somebody, um, you know, he got a few checks that equaled out to $1,000. He had never had $1,000 in his entire life. And so he was like, man, I'm rich. No, I got $1,000. He was so excited But that summer, the youth group was going on a missions trip, and there was a girl in the group that really, really wanted to go, but she was short $500. And her family was going through some really, really difficult times. And, you know, they didn't have the money to to help out. And so this young man heard about her problem, and he felt moved by the Lord he said he struggled with it at first a little bit, but he was like, I just couldn't, you know, like I just couldn't put it away. And I just, he felt moved by the Lord to take half of his thousand dollars and give it to this girl so she could go on this missions trip. Well, then it was crazy what happened was. So he anonymously, because he didn't want, you know, this girl to get any wrong ideas. He didn't want him to know. So he anonymously gave this to the youth pastor to give to her. And so, you know, the youth pastor did that, gave her the money and told her, you know, it's just a gift from somebody in the church and, you know, they want to be anonymous. And well, then what happened was the, the, the trip ended up getting canceled. <laughs> and he was like, what? You know, and because the girl decided, okay, well, I, I guess if I can't go on the mission trip, I'm going to go to the Bible college. I'll use this to go to the Bible college. And he was like, wait a minute, that was my money. That was his first reaction. <laughs> but then he was like, okay, Lord, you told me to give it. I don't know what it's for. And, and then he ended up feeling stirred in his heart to go to Bible college. And it was interesting because as he started to just watch and see what God was doing in this girl's life. And this girl today, she's a pastor's wife. And this young man's a pastor. So God has taken both of their lives. And, you know, uh, she still has no idea that he was the one that gave um, this, this money. But he said every time, you know, as he's watching and just seeing God use her, his heart, he would just, tears would fill up in his eyes. Tears of joy in knowing I played a small part in what God's doing in her. And that's the idea. That's what Paul is talking about here. There's an abundance of joy in being able to be used by the Lord in that way. So the first encouragement that Paul gives is seen in the example of the churches in Macedonia in how they gave. The second, though, is this, is he's encouraging them, and he uses this phrase, to abound in this grace. Look at verse 6 again. He says, so we urge Titus that as he be." had begun that he would also complete this grace in you as well. 
But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by your diligence of others. You know, the church of Corinth had some major problems that if you were with us, when we went through 1 Corinthians, Paul dealt with a lot of those problems. And I mean, there was a lot of problems in that church, but it was also a church that was really, really blessed. It was a church that was filled with certain graces, and Paul mentions them here in verse 7 that you know they were filled with faith and speech. The, the idea there is a boldness in sharing, their knowledge of the, of the Lord, their diligence, and their love for others. And Paul declares here, I want you guys to grow. I want you, he uses this word, I want you to abound. The idea is to be overflowing in this grace as well. You see, here's what we need to understand. God never wants any of us to be in a holding pattern in our lives with him. Never wants us to be in a, you ever been on a plane in a holding pattern? Isn't that annoying, you know? Okay, we're going to circle around one more time, folks. You know, we're still not cleared. I mean, it's the worst thing. Well, it's the same thing in Christian life. To be in a holding pattern isn't good. God always wants us to be moving forward and growing and always abounding in our walk with the Lord. And so Paul says, I want you guys to abound. You, you guys are doing great in this grace and that grace and this one. But I want you to abound in this grace as well. What's the grace he's talking about? Don't miss this. It's the grace of giving. And it's interesting that he calls it a grace. Because what is grace? Don't miss this. Grace is God's undeserved favor. That's what grace is. We think of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, and think of it this way, they're coming into your life through what we could call a conduit of grace, of God's undeserved favor. Every blessing that you have ever received, you did not deserve. In fact, all of us in this room, we deserved help. We deserved wrath. I don't care how good you have been in your life. We deserved punishment. We deserved damnation. That's what we deserve. And God in his grace, instead of giving us what we deserved, hell, he gives us heaven. Instead of keeping us enemies, he makes us friends and sons and daughters. And all that comes through his grace, his undeserved favor. So here's the question. Why would God call grace, or excuse me, call giving a grace or a undeserved favor. Well, think of it this way. The God who doesn't need us to do his work and accomplish his ministry here on earth says to you and I, I don't need you, but I want to give you the privilege and the blessing of being used by me. I want to give you the privilege and blessing of partnering with me in this work that I'm doing in somebody's lives, in this, this work that I'm doing you know, in, in the world. Now think about it this way. My grandson Josiah, love that kid. He, every time I'm doing a project, something at the house, yard work or just anything, he always wants to help. Can I help you, Bobby? You know, he comes over and he, you know, just wants, the other day I was moving a table. Okay, he's three, all right? <laughs> and he comes over and he's grabbing a leg, you know, like I'm going to help you move the table. Now, is he helping me? Not at all. He's making it harder. He's making it slower. You know, I'm having to watch that he doesn't bang into the wall. I mean, you know, but is he blessed? Absolutely. And that's what God does with us. He's like, I don't need you guys. But I want to bless you by allowing you to be used by me. And part of the way that, that he allows us to do that is through giving, through helping people in that way. Now, there's some people that might say, well, that's one grace or blessing that I can do without. <laughs> but I would just say this. I think a person who says that really doesn't have an understanding of the love of the Father, of the Father who's saying, hey, I want to use this to grow you. God's saying, look, I'm a giver. 
and I want you to become like me. I'm trying to make you like my son, and so I want you to be a giver too. So I'm going to give you this opportunity to be used in this way. But, but it's a privilege. This is the idea. Why he calls it a grace. It's a privilege, not an obligation. In fact, look at verse 8. Paul says, I speak not by commandment. In other words, I'm not commanding you to do this. You're free. If you don't want to do this, please don't do it. In fact, we'll see in chapter 9 next week that God makes this statement that he loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when it's just somebody, as it comes to giving and helping, it's like, it's, they're just, it's hilarious is the idea. Like, they're just so full of joy. It's one of the things that I really, really miss in this COVID season where, you know, we're not passing the bag for our offering like we normally would. And in this day and age, you know, when so many of us, we are giving, you know, online now and we do that. But there was a certain joy I know that I got in putting my check in the basket, you know? It was just like, here you go. Like, that's why we, we love to do it as part of worship when we would do that in our times, you know, here on, on Sundays because that was, is the heart. That's the attitude of like, Lord, this is, this is awesome to partner with you in this way. God doesn't want us to be doing that begrudgingly, But then Paul does add this thought in verse 8. He says, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. In other words, he's saying our willingness to give and to help out does reveal the genuineness of our love for others. Jesus said this. This is how people are going to know that you are my disciples. It's by your love for one another. That's how they're going to know. And, and John, in his epistle, would write this in 1 John three eighteen. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We can put it this way. Actions speak louder than words. So the second thing that he's seeking to encourage them in here is that they would abound in this grace. The idea is that they would experience to it to the fullest. Now, the third example he gives is the example of Jesus himself in verse 9. Look at that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is such a tremendous verse. And it speaks to us of what Christ did in saving us, that he became poor. Think about it. He's in heaven. He's being worshiped as God. He's the central figure in heaven. He has all wealth. He has all authority. He's full of majesty. And Jesus makes the decision to lay that all aside. And he's going to come to this earth and he's even going to allow his, his, he's still fully God, but fully man. But the thing is, is as a man, his glory is concealed in his humanity. And the disciples only get a, this little glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration. When, remember, he was there with uh, Elijah and Moses, and it, it says he was shining like the sun. It's like the glory that was concealed in his humanity was coming out. But what's interesting is later on, John would kind of put two and two together and and he would come to realize, you know, the glory was really seen was in his character. It was in his person because he would say this in John chapter one, I think it's verse 14. He'd say, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And he said, that's what we saw in Jesus. But Jesus, think of this. He steps out of heaven, comes to this earth, and he becomes a human being. But not just a human being. I mean, he's not born in a palace. He becomes literally a peasant. Remember what one of the disciples said? I think it um, was Nathaniel. When somebody came to him and said, hey, we found him, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, really? Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know? 
That's, that's like saying, you know, he's from Bakersfield. You know, it's like, can anything good, you know? <laughs> if you're from Bakersfield, I'm sorry. But uh, I mean, it's like, think of whatever podunk place, you know, in, in, in your mind, rainbow. I don't know, you know. It's like, can anything good come out of there, you know? Can anything good come out of that place? That's how they look. Like, really? I mean, it's like the peasants live there. That's where Jesus, that's where he, he grew up. He was poor. He was so poor that he had to borrow a stable to be born in. He was so poor that he preached from a borrowed boat. He was so poor that he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with a, on a borrowed donkey. And at the Last Supper, he ate the Last Supper in a borrowed room. And he was buried and placed in a borrowed grave. The one who made everything, just spoke it into existence, laid it all down, and entered into total poverty so that you and I could become rich. That you and I who were poor, who were lost in our sin, that, that we might become rich in the love that God has for us. And this is such a tremendous verse in showing what Christ did and the effect that it has on everyone who puts their trust in him. But here Paul is using it as an encouragement for us to give as he's pointing to Jesus. You see, not only did the believers in Macedonia give in their poverty, but in even greater degree, Jesus gave everything. He gave of him of his full self. Yeah, the Macedonians, they gave, uh, their giving was even beyond their ability, but Jesus gave everything in order to set us free. And those whose lives have been touched by the love of Jesus, this is the idea. They welcome the opportunity to reciprocate because they want to be like Jesus. So the third encouragement he gives is, hey, look at Jesus. And then the fourth encouragement he gives is this, that they would, he's just now coming to the point like, hey, I want you guys to finish what you started. Look at verse 10. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. So he's saying, look, a year ago they heard about the need and the opportunity and you guys were gung-ho. But think about this. In that day and age, there's no wire transfers There's no Western Union. There's no Venmo. So they basically had to wait for Paul or someone to come along and say, okay, I'm ready to take the offering and take it to Jerusalem. And so a whole year passes and it becomes sort of out of sight, out of mind. And they find themselves, you know, getting caught up in life and getting distracted and, 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 you know, nothing ends up being done. It's not easy to have happen, isn't it? You know, God kind of stirs on your heart, but then you got to get caught up in the moment. And, you know, I, I think of one of the ways that I know in my life that a burden is from the Lord. You know, you get a burden and you're like, you're heavy about something. I know it's from the Lord when it doesn't go away. You know, when I keep wanting to put it over here and it just keeps coming back. It keeps waking me up at night. It just doesn't go away. But I'll tell you this. I've had this experience over uh, the years that I've been a pastor here with different people on staff. And some of them, one of them, you know, might come to me and, and they're burdened about something. And they'll say, hey, you know, Pastor Rob, can we consider, you know, doing this? And they've got this, you know, some grand idea or something that they want to do. And oftentimes I'll say, I'll say, you know what, let's pray about it. I'll pray with you about that. Let's pray about that. And I'll let sometimes a month, sometimes two, go by. And then I'll come up to that person and I'll say, hey, let's talk about that thing that you wanted to pray about. And I can't tell you how this, many times this has happened, that they say, what thing? <laughs> and I go, oh, that must have not been you know, so important or such a burden because I've been praying about it, but obviously you haven't been, you know, type of a thing. 
But I know for me, when, when something is from the Lord, I mean, I just can't. It wakes me up at night. Can't put it away. Paul knew this was from the Lord. And he was reminding the Corinthians of their past conviction. And he's encouraging them to follow through on it, complete the doing of it. And I think this is a good word for all of us here. Because how many of us have had things in recent months or this past year that you felt God leading in? I think this is a word from the Lord for for somebody here tonight. God was moving you in something and it never materialized because you got busy or you got distracted or you got lazy. It was William Barclay who said this, the tragedy of life so often is not that we have no high impulses, but that we fail to turn them into actions. I want to introduce you to a new friend of mine. This guy's name is Jordan Verdeen. And he runs this ministry called Humanity Showers. If, if you're on, um, if you don't do it right now, but if you're on Instagram, look this guy up. This guy, Jordan, he got a burden about six years ago that he wanted to do something to show just love and grace and dignity to homeless people by trying to come up with a, a shower. Anybody ever been to Spirit West Coast? You ever camp there? You know those like portable showers that they have there? So, so he thought if I could get one of those and I could bring it around Vista and Oceanside, I could set it up and homeless people could come and take showers there and we could love on them and you know, do that type of thing for them. And so he had this idea, this vision. And when he was 23 years old, and he put out, you know, he did a GoFundMe, you know, like a lot of people do today. Like, hey, I got this idea, you know, who wants to get involved in? And one of these trailers, that, like a two-person shower, one of these portable shower trailers costs $40,000. 2300 bucks came in. Now, I know a lot of people that would have just went, oh, that must not be from the Lord. Uh, 2300 bucks, what am I going to do with this, you know? Not Jordan. You know what he did? He went and started getting those big jugs of water and he just started going out to camps where homeless people were. And he'd bring soap and shampoo and a jug of water and he would wash their hair. And he'd comb their hair. And then he's an amazing photographer. And on his Instagram page, he has these gorgeous photos that he takes of these people after they've showered and after they've cleaned up. And it's just astounding and then he tells their story oh my gosh it'll make you just cry just break your heart so for four years he's trying to get enough money to buy one of these showers because he's got this burden that just won't go away that he wants to help and so finally after four years he gets one and he starts taking it around and this thing takes off he's got five of them now the six-person showers um, cost sixty grand, and they're beautiful, beautiful trailers that he that he has. And and we're actually as a church, we're going to partner with him in, in what he's doing. I'm so excited about this, and we'll be telling you ways that you can get involved. But they they do a these the showers. They they bring food. They bring fresh changes of clothes, um, Bible study, prayer time. I mean, it's just a beautiful beautiful ministry that he's doing um, for these people but how many how many of us myself included you know we had something that maybe was a a good intention maybe even we could say it was a god intention but it got buried and it got lost because there wasn't follow-through paul's saying guys this was, this was the Lord. You need to follow through on this. And I think the thing that we forget is that God usually, when, when we don't follow through, he just finds somebody else. He's like, look, I'm just wanting to bless you. I don't need you. So I'm going to bless that guy, you know, because he's, he's willing. You know, he wants to do this. 
So this is what Paul, he wants the, to see, they, he wants them to see the bigger picture that's involved here. Look at verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. So he's saying, you know, when you maybe first heard of this, you, 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 were, you were willing and you were able is what he's saying. You, you, know, you, you had the means to do this. Verse 13, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. In essence, Paul is saying this, I did share this with you, not to burden you, but to bless you. A chance for you to be used by the Lord. Because this is what he's wanting them to see. This is what we need to understand. Don't miss this. The church is one body. It's one body. So the church in Jerusalem, that was far from the church in Corinth, they were connected. They were brothers and sisters. They were one body. And it's sort of like Paul's saying here, look, what goes around comes around. This is what I want you to see. If you help them in their need, guess what's going to happen? When you have a need, they're going to want to help you. That's the idea that he's getting. He's saying, look, sharing promotes equality in the body, and it brings about unity. Now, it's interesting that Paul quotes here from Exodus 16. In this illustration of the gathering of the manna, look at verse 15. He says, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. What what is he getting at here? Remember when God gave the manna to Israel each day in the wilderness, they were instructed to gather only for one day's supply. If they gathered more, it was going to rot. So God was essentially saying to the people of Israel, he was essentially saying this, trust me. I know you want to think like, okay, you know, I don't know. I'm going to just gather enough for one day. And what if it's not there tomorrow? And so some people did. You know, they, they took extra and it rotted. And God said, look, trust me. Just gather for one day. And you know what? Tomorrow there's going to be, there's going to be more there. And so Paul is drawing upon this analogy because any time that we are challenged to give, there's always the struggle that we have in our heart. Well, are my needs going to be taken care of? If I give, I mean, is, is, are my needs, am I going to lack or can I really afford this? And Paul's using the analogy of the manna to say, look, God takes care of his own. He says, look, they all gathered what they needed and there was never anyone lacking. That's the point. That's what he's getting at here. But in this illustration, Paul is also reminding the Corinthians and us that one way the Lord supplies is through each other. It's through the body. It's helping one another. And when a church body understands this, they care for the needs of one another. When a church body realizes this, that they're part of the bigger C church, they're more open to meet the needs that come from the church at large. When they hear that, hey, our brothers down in Mexico have this need, or our brothers over here are dealing with this, or our brothers down the street are dealing with this. Let's see, we're, we're family, we're all one. So Paul encourages them to follow through with this desire to finish what they started. Now let's wrap up this chapter with some closing comments that Paul makes. Paul wants to assure them that their offering is going to be in dependable hands. Look at verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Titus was a co-laborer with Paul, and God had given Titus a heart for the church in Corinth. So when Paul was delayed in coming to them and Titus heard about it and heard about their frustration that Paul was delayed, he made his way to Corinth of his own accord. Like, I'm going to go. I'll fill in the gap. 
I'll go there and I'll minister to them. And then it says, look at verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Now, we're not sure who this dude was. But as another translation puts it, his passion was for the gospel and he was known throughout all the churches. What a great reputation to have, right? What a great thing to say about somebody. He's got a passion for the gospel and he's known in a good way by the churches. You know, I've been in ministry a long time and it's a rare thing to find somebody who has a big picture mentality because the tendency of most of us I think all of us in ministry will struggle with this. Even sometimes this happens within the, a, a, a church, you know, a larger church where there's a lot of different ministries. You know, there's a tendency to feel like this. My ministry is the most important. <laughs> you know, everybody kind of wrestles with that. But it's easy to think, you know, well, our church, you know, and, and, and the, that type of thing. But it's, it's such a blessing to, to, to see somebody that has a heart that's like for the bigger, sees the bigger picture that, hey, we're all in this together. This guy was an awesome guy. Known by the churches. It's like his name came up. And, oh, yeah, we love that guy. That's the idea there. Oh, we love him. Yeah, he's, got, he's such an awesome guy. Verse 19, and not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift. So he's saying, look, this guy that's with Titus has also been chosen to travel with us to bring this gift to Jerusalem, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame in us, this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. He's basically saying this, that regarding the collecting and the distri- distribution of this offering, it was not something that was going to be handled by one person. And that's the right way to do that. We do that here. We have, when... when Again, when we used to receive an offering and pass the, 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 there was a team of ushers and a couple pastors that would take that and go into you know, one of the offices. They would lock the door. They would count it all. They would tally it all. And then it would go to our accounting team and they would count, count it all and make sure it matched. The idea that Paul's talking about here is there needs to be accountability in this type of thing. Verse 22. And when we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them And before the churches, the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. Paul basically is saying this. Receive this team with love. This team that's coming, that's going to receive this offering and take it to Jerusalem. Receive them with love so that as we've been boasting about you guys, we've been saying, man, the church in Corinth, they're awesome. You're going to love those guys. Don't let us down. (laughs) That's basically what he's saying. Like, Don't let them have a bad experience, you know. Be who we are saying that you guys are. So here's what we see in this. The Lord wants our testimony to be, as his people, that we would have a testimony of generosity. That we would have hearts to say, Lord, I want to be a giver because you're a giver. This is one of the things I loved about my dad. My dad was a blue-collar worker, I think in his best year that he ever worked, he made $30,000. I mean, that was like the top of the pay scale in his work. But my dad was such a giver. To his dying day, he was always helping people in need. Always just willing to. And it it just so blessed me, the generosity that he would show our family, that he would show people in our church, that he would show, you know, perfect strangers. 
because my dad had come to realize that he had been radically saved by Jesus. I've told some of you this before, but I never ever saw my dad shed a tear until he became a Christian. And I'd watch him reading his Bible and tears would be flowing down his face. And the reason was, is he just was being blown away by the love of Jesus for him, you know. And because of that, he was like, I, Lord, all I have is yours. And this is what Paul's saying here, that, that he wants us to have that same mentality. Lord, this is yours, and I'm just caretaker. I want to be, I want to do with it what you want me to do with it. And wouldn't it be awesome if our reputation is like this guy that Paul talks about here, that we have a passion for Jesus and we're known throughout the churches of just being those who are generous with what God has given to us. The churches, they were like, man, we love this guy. We love that gal. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? You walk in and it's like, oh man, I love that guy. <laughs> They're just so generous. They're just so much like Jesus. Man, let's strive to have that type of heart. Let's allow the Lord to work in us to be those type of people that live with just a loose grip on things here. In fact, I'm going to leave you with this. Here's something I really want to encourage you to do, especially as we're coming toward Easter right now. I heard somebody say this once, and I think it's such a great illustration. I want to encourage you, starting tomorrow, to go throughout your day and put imaginary red tags, little red stickers. Don't get real ones. But take imaginary red stickers and just put them on everything around you that is temporal. Your neighbor's Mercedes. Don't, go put, a, don't put a literal red sticker on his car, but imaginary one, you know, temporal. It's going to burn. Red, red for fire. It's all going to burn, the Bible says, all right? <laughs> and then put imaginary green stickers on every single person you come in contact with. The green speaks of life and eternal. Because you see, every single human being is going to spend eternity somewhere. Those who know Jesus are going to spend eternity with him. Those who don't know Jesus are going to spend eternity separated from him. In a place that the Bible describes as a place of utter torment where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness. Let's, let's allow that to fill our hearts and minds. And I think as it does, we too will be givers and we'll be more like Jesus. Amen?